Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 911, what is your emergency? If you need police in Milwaukee. This guy was driving like a total psychopath. Oh, my truck. Okay, I will send someone out, ma'am. Be prepared to wait. We're waiting and we're waiting. We'll have a squad there as soon as we can. You guys are doing your own traffic control. Yes. Violent crime is up, the number of police officers down. They think that we should be right there, but I don't have the resources available at that moment to be right there. A Fox 6 investigation finds Milwaukee police response times are getting longer every year. It's just unacceptable. And it won't get better anytime soon. We're in a dire fiscal situation in the city of Milwaukee. We need to reimagine what public safety looks like. We'll get somebody out there as soon as possible. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined by Open Record's executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Brian. So we're recording this episode on Wednesday, July 20th for release on Thursday, July 28th to accommodate for staff vacation. So we're working ahead here. By the time you hear this episode, my latest investigation will be available for viewing at fox6now.com. It's an in-depth look at why... Milwaukee police are taking longer and longer to respond to calls for service. And Sarah, there is so much we didn't have time to get into in the broadcast, which always makes something like that a good topic for the podcast. There's a lot to talk about in the data we obtained through Open Records. Yeah, and so, I mean, I guess Open Records, Open Record, the podcast, sounds like a really good place to start. So let's start with the numbers. So obviously, to, to, to kick off all of this stuff and to get into your investigation, you have to make requests. So what did you ask for? So we started, and this actually goes back to last fall, um, the budget hearings, Milwaukee police, uh, they always make a presentation and they sort of give, give an update. Here's where we are in different crimes. Here are the trends. And one of the slides caught my attention because it showed response times and it showed them essentially going up across the board. And that was granted last, that, last fall. And we've done a lot of things since then that kept me busy. And earlier this spring, I thought we need to really find out where things are going this year. Homicides continue to go up. While some crimes are down, some some uh, categories of crime are down, and police and the mayor have tried to really uh, promote that. Uh, certainly violent crime, shootings, non-fatal shootings, homicides, stolen cars, uh, reckless driving, all that stuff is taking a lot of attention. So we decided to just ask for police response times by a, a couple of different measures. One, by priority level. Police set different priority levels for their response to calls. Obviously, a homicide um, or a triple shooting is going to get a higher priority response than a call for you know a stolen cell phone or wallet or something like that. So um, they have priority levels. But also, we wanted to see by police district how do things look. Is there a particular area of the city that's seeing uh, increased response times to calls for service. And what we found in the data we got was response times are up across the board. Every priority level, every police district, they are going up. And we looked at 2019, 20, 
2021 and year to date so far here in 2022, which the data we got was through, uh, I believe it was through middle of June or early June. And the area that really stood out when you looked at that, the biggest jump in response times has been priority three calls, which we'll talk a little bit more later about what that means. Priority one and two, those are obviously the higher priority calls. There is a priority level they call priority E for emergency, um, but there is a, a really small number of calls that fall into that category. That would be like officer-involved shooting or, you know, the, the night that I'm guessing 17 people were shot after the Milwaukee Bucks playoff game. That probably resulted in a priority E response. Um, mass shooters would, would get that. So that's a pretty rarely used one. So data isn't great when you're doing sort of an analysis on a very small data set. So by and large, the highest priority calls are priority one, then two, and then three. But again, as I said, while priority three calls were way up, the, the response times are up across the board. So you get response times and you start to kind of plot those out. Um, but also, as we know, I mean, across industries from everything from, you know, local broadcast and news to police to restaurant industry, um, you know, they're having a hard time filling positions and keeping staff. Um, and so did did that does that play a factor at all in any of this? Did that did you request any of that information? Well, yeah, we wanted to see. Obviously, we've, we've heard in recent years about how Milwaukee police uh, you know, staffing is being cut or they're losing people to retirement, um, you know, so or, or officers are moving to suburban departments with less crime where the pay might be better, but the sort of risk to your safety is lower. So we wanted to see what staffing looks like and how that might be impacting these response times. And it's no secret that Milwaukee police staffing is down. What we wanted to see is just what does that look like? To what degree is staffing down and does it coincide with uh, how does it coincide with this increase in response times? And what we found is uh, right now, um, or at least in the most recent data we received, which was April 30th of 2022, Milwaukee police had 1,653 sworn uh, officers. Now, the department has uh, more than 2,000 total employees, but some of them are civilian employees. We want to look at sworn law enforcement officers, and they're 1,653 as of April 30th. If you go back to the beginning of 2019, there were 1,915. So that's a significant decrease, about 14% drop in the number of sworn law enforcement officers that are available to patrol the streets, to investigate and solve crimes. Um, so obviously a significant decrease, and that plays into not only response times, but solve rates. We had a, a soundbite in the story from Andrew Wagner, who is the president of the Milwaukee Police Association, saying this is one of the reasons homicide solve rates are way down. There are more homicides to investigate and fewer detectives to investigate them. So more than one out of every two homicides goes unsolved. And as he put it, that's one out of every two people in the city getting away with murder. Um, that's a pretty strong statement, but it is unfortunately the reality right now facing Milwaukee police and the city of Milwaukee. So for the story, we're introduced to two women. So they had a, a you know, a kind of a laundry list of complaints as far as like how long it took police to respond to these 911 calls that they made. So how did you, how did we come across them? Did they reach out to us or? Well, so one of the things I did in the early part of this process was to reach out to every uh, alder person in the city of Milwaukee and ask for open records uh, related to citizens who complained about police response times. 
Um, and I got responses from probably about two-thirds. There were some who never got me records. Um, there were others who responded and said they had no responsive records. Uh, one, actually, Alderman uh, Russell Stamper wanted to charge, uh, I believe it was thousands of dollars. I'd have to look back at how much he wanted to charge for us to go through phone logs um, to, to determine that. But um, So we didn't get anything there. But there were a number who, who gave us responses with a handful of complaints. As much as response times are up, I expected there to be more citizen complaints about police response. And, and I don't know what to make of that if that means there's just apathy about police response, if they're just not using the search terms. You know, maybe they don't use the words response times. Maybe it's something else. And, and, and the uh, staff members who were looking through things didn't interpret it the same way. But we did get a handful. And one of them was from a woman named Pam DeVoe, who we featured in the story. Pam encountered a traffic accident, a bad one. It was a semi that crashed into a car, and then the semi continued on, crashed into some vehicles in a driveway, and struck a house. And um, thankfully, no one in the house was injured. Um, the truck driver turned out to be okay. There was a woman in a car who was uh, suffered some minor injuries, but at the time, it wasn't known. I mean, her car was smoking. There was concern about her condition and whether the car was going to blow up, and you know, there was a lot of debris in the road. And, Citizens were doing their own traffic control because police hadn't responded and they were trying to keep people from driving through the debris. So they were very frustrated with that response. She complained to her older person, Scott Spiker, um, and he uh, uh, released that uh, information to me. So we, we interviewed her. Kimberly Dunn is, or Kimberlyn Dunn is another person who she actually reached out to Fox 6 News. In her case, also a traffic accident. Her neighbor had surveillance video from a like a ring doorbell camera of a reckless driver flying down the road, becoming airborne and crashing into Kim's car, totaling her SUV, her only method of transportation. She's a single mom with two jobs, um, and she saw this happen out her window and came running outside with a driver who uh, she was told by an officer who eventually responded the, the person that car comes back to is a, a repeat drunk driver. That driver got out of the car, climbed out, was bleeding, and went running down the street. And so there are three different people on the phone with 911. Kim is on the phone. Her next-door neighbor, Amber Jean-Pierre, is on the phone. A woman across the street is on the phone. Might have been more, but at least three who are telling police, he just ran down the street. Here's what he looks like. You can come get him right now. It took 35 minutes for police to respond to that call. By the time someone came, they were treating this as a, we're here to get information. We're not going to get the guy. We'll just take down the info. We'll go from there. And maybe we'll go knock on his door since we have a license plate and, and we'll see if we can find him that way. Turns out they couldn't. He didn't answer the door. Um, Kim was very frustrated. She said, you know, if you'd come right away, you could have solved this crime. This is important to me. Um, this person can still terrorize our neighborhood. But police look at it and say there was no imminent threat remaining at that point. The suspect had left the scene. Um, he wasn't still driving the car. He wasn't in the process of assaulting or, or, or harming someone. This wasn't a shooting. And so it falls down the list of priorities. In that case, it was classified as a priority to call. Obviously, that's not the highest priority. It's not the lowest either, though. So consider priority two is one where there's major property damage. Um, and possibly still some threat to the community, but it's not a high enough priority to say we've got to send you know all hands on deck. 35-minute response, certainly Kim Dunn was not satisfied with that. So, you know, I, and, you know, you kind of walked us through these two 911 calls. Um, while different, both crashes, 
you know, and so obviously no one died, no, you know, thankfully, and, you know, not really injury to people. So, you know, if we're saying that this priority two for um, this, you know, reckless driver call was 35 minutes, you know, how do how do police take then these 911 calls and prioritize them? And, and how, you know, if, if a level two is taking 35 minutes, you know, what's that saying about the rest of these calls? Well, and that's one of the things that when I mentioned at the top that we looked at different priority levels, um, the, the, the greatest increase in response times in the last three years has been for priority three calls. And those are going to be less urgent calls. Uh, it, literally in the uh, standard operating procedures for 911 dispatchers in Milwaukee, priority three is described as situations not requiring an immediate response or or um any recent incident where the preservation of evidence or protection of the crime scene is not of an urgent nature. The examples they give are property damage, entry to a vehicle or a home, a battery where the suspect has left the scene, um, a felony or misdemeanor that's not in progress, does not require immediate investigation, any kind of theft, maybe a violation of a restraining order. They're low enough priority Police essentially view that as we can get to that later. We've got stuff we've got to do right now. So priority one is a life threatening incident. Um, you know, someone's life is on the line right now. This is a crime in progress or the crime has happened, but the suspect is still there on the scene. Um, it's reasonable to assume the suspect may still be in the area. Things like that. That's a priority one. Priority two would be major property threatening conditions, accidents with injury um, and, and things like that things that are maybe a car theft that's still in progress um, or a car theft that's occurred, but the suspect is uh, still, you know, in an area someone knows where that vehicle or that person is. The point behind all of this is obviously police are evaluating how imminent is a threat to life uh, right now, and that's going to get the highest response. While the greatest increase in times is priority three, police are essentially saying those have to wait. We've got to focus on these others. The concern we saw in the data was that there's still significant increases in times to get to priority one and two calls. In fact, priority one calls have seen an increase in response times of 15% to more than 10 minutes per call. Now, that's an average time. When I I brought that time up to the assistant police chief we interviewed, she seemed surprised by the data because she said it was her sense. She said, I think we're getting to this a lot more quickly than that. I think we're right there. And it may well be that in the absolute highest priority of priority one calls, they're getting there within seconds or, or just a couple of minutes. But on average, the median response time to priority one calls over tens of thousands of calls is more than 10 minutes. Uh, and again, the way they classify that is a life-threatening incident or an incident in progress if it takes more than 10 minutes when seconds matter, obviously that's a real concern. Did they have a, like a goal time or response times? Our goal as a department is to get to these level twos by this time. I have not seen anything they've set where they okay. have a goal time. Um, I do know that, you know, for fire department, for instance, there are national standards for the response to yeah. a, a call and, you know, reaching a certain percentage of incidents within a certain amount of time. There are goals in terms of how quickly 911 dispatchers answer calls and get a, a, a and, you know, a, a respond to someone or get get, you know, so people aren't left on hold. Um, And that's something that's also been an issue in the city that the city is working to address. But, you know, it's one thing to answer the call. It's another thing to dispatch a unit and get someone on this 
on the scene. It doesn't do much good to take information if someone doesn't get there to help. Um, and, and so it's not clear to me that Milwaukee police have goal times. If they do, they haven't published them. It's not been a part of their annual reports or their budget presentations. And it's certainly not something they talked about with me for this story. So we talked about, you know, the the people that are, you know, some people that are calling 911 and are having seeing that issue firsthand of the, the, the late response times. You know, we talked a little bit about the Milwaukee Police Association's response and concerns about this. City of Milwaukee has a mayor, a new mayor. What, you know, he hasn't been around, you know, doing mayoral duties for very long, but long enough that he's been, you know, in politics to see all this stuff. What does he have to say about it? Well, Cavalier Johnson has been certainly in on the Milwaukee Common Council for many years. He was council president and and now, of course, as mayor. This is an issue he's familiar with. And when I sent uh, the data we had analyzed uh, he, we had obtained and analyzed. I sent it out to the mayor. I sent it to the police department. I sent it to the police association. I sent it to the fire and police commission. Um, and I, the mayor was actually uh, one of the first to respond. Um, actually, his uh, his spokesperson, Jeff Fleming, who's been with City of Milwaukee for a long time, said this is something the mayor wants to get out in front of because the mayor says he wants to hire more police officers. He wants there to be an increase in staffing. Um, he is not one of the, the, the voices out there saying that police should be defunded or that resources should be taken away. He wants to add resources, but he at the same time says the city's in a fiscal crisis and I don't have the money to pay for it. Um, so while the mayor supports an increase in funding or an increase in staffing for Milwaukee police, he says right now he doesn't have the funds to provide. Um, and he pointed to. Uh, what he calls a fiscal crisis in the city of Milwaukee, partly uh, due to the fact that, uh, you know, in in his view, the the state of Wisconsin has limited what cities can do to raise their own funds. Revenue limits um, has been an issue. It's something he says he'd like to work with state lawmakers on. He's trying to actively work with state lawmakers on. Uh, one of the first things he said as mayor when when he was giving his uh, his inaugural address was the importance of repairing relationships with Madison between Madison and Milwaukee. Um, so he says that's one one part of it. But the other is a pension crisis in the city. Um, the city of Milwaukee is about to see a huge increase. And, and, you know, Mayor Barrett said on his way out that this was going to be sort of the last budget, the calm before the storm. And it's Mayor Johnson's storm. So there is a huge debt payment coming to keep up with the city of Milwaukee pension fund and uh, or, or pension uh, debt or pension uh, payments and Milwaukee police are a big part of that. So there it's some have called it a pension bomb. There's a huge increase of, uh, I think, 50 or more million dollars that, that's coming um, that somehow the city has to factor into its budget. So on the one hand, Mayor Johnson says he wants more officers. On the other hand, he doesn't sound like he has the money to pay for it. So. You know, it's one thing to say you want more, but are you going to add more? Whatever the reasons are, if you don't add more, you know, citizens may be waiting even longer for response times in the future. So at the center of all of this, obviously, you know, the the data, the calls, you know, whatever the mayor says, there's a police chief. So, you know, what about Milwaukee police, Milwaukee's police chief, uh, Norman? So we reached out to uh, Chief Norman for an interview and um, asked to sit down specifically with the chief. I mean, this is a question of not only public safety, but this is a policy uh, type of interview. We've gone through a significant amount of data. We wanted to talk 
to the person at the top. And um, we gave well over two weeks notice for the opportunity to do an interview. I actually ran into Chief Norman at City Hall in the Rotunda as he was uh, delivering uh, remarks in a press conference. And I shook his hand and I said, are we still on for an interview? And he said that his staff was working on setting it up, but he definitely wanted to sit down and talk to me. And instead, Milwaukee police got back to me uh, a couple of days later and said that the chief's schedule wouldn't allow it. Um, and instead, they uh, set me up with assistant police chief Nicole Lardner, who, by the way, was or I'm sorry, Nicole Waldner. Uh, assistant chief Waldner was, um, uh, you know, very patient and sat through a lot of questions, answered everything I had to ask. But again, we wanted to talk to the person in charge, the person at the top, the person whose name is is at the top as the chief of the the, the police force, and, and they didn't make him available. And it is not the first time that's happened. The Fox 6 investigators have asked Chief Norman to sit down for interviews on multiple subjects, including reckless driving on more than one occasion. And in each case, uh, we have been given someone else to speak to or no one at all. Um, so, you know, still like to sit down and talk directly with Chief Norman about this. But again, instead, we sat down with Assistant Police Chief Nicole Waldner. Now, Assistant Chief Waldner certainly has a lot of uh, experience with this issue. Uh, she has not only been in charge of running recruitment and training the police academy, but also uh, is, is uh, you know, her, her purview includes the um, telecommunications division, the 911 dispatching center. So she's very familiar with the problems that are facing the police department in terms of getting enough people on the police force, paying for it, and then, of course, also how to distribute resources. And, and what I really got from talking to her was, and she said it, this is a shell game. You know, we we in the news media harp on reckless driving because people in the public are talking about reckless driving. Um, and so the police department uh, creates a traffic safety unit with 20 dedicated officers. Well, that's 20 police officers now who aren't responding to other things because they're focused on reckless driving. Well, then there's a spike in stolen cars, so they've got a whole bunch of people focusing on stolen cars, and they're chasing people that they didn't use to chase before. So that's taking people out of service for other calls. And we know there's fewer police officers overall, while there's an increase in non-fatal shootings and an increase in homicides. So there's all of these resource-heavy things that are demanding officers' attention, and Assistant Chief Waldner says they're doing the best they can to sort of shuffle resources around, but in the end, there's only so many bodies to go around. And when that's the case, priority threes, if they're not urgent, she said they can wait. You talked a little bit about it with Mayor Johnson, you know, how he kind of isn't in that defund the police camp. Um, and we've heard more about that in the last probably, you know, three, four, five years um, of these, you know, groups that that want to defund the police or kind of rework the police resources and redistribute those monies. Um for this story, we also heard from someone with Urban Underground. Um, so who are they? What is that group? And, you know, what are they saying about all this? Urban Underground is a youth leadership mentorship program, and it, it was founded by uh, a woman named Charlene Moore. Um, and I interviewed Charlene for this story. Now, she is not one of the, the loudest voices out there calling for, you know, uh, police to be defunded. But it's certainly a term that uh, we've heard a lot in the last couple of years. Mayor Johnson is very clear he is not in the defund camp. He says he wants to fund the police department to the level that it needs to be. Although I will say I asked him, how many sworn officers do you think is the right number 
what's the goal? Where should we be? And he wouldn't give me a number. Police wouldn't give me a number. In fact, no one would give me a hard number as to how many officers we need. They all just said we need more. And that's certainly a tricky thing. We know where we were a couple of years ago at 1915. We know now we're at 1653. Um, but how many do we really need? And no one would say that. When I talked to Charlene Moore, she said she doesn't think more police officers is the answer. She didn't say that she you know, defund. She didn't like to use that term, but she said she likes to think of it as a redistribution of resources um, and, uh, you know, sort of a rethinking of uh, or reimagining of what policing looks like. And what does she mean by that? I asked her. And so we've heard something, some things in other communities, other places where people are uh, having, uh, you know, civilians that are trained in mental health care. Um, to you know, be available to respond to certain situations where maybe someone with those skills are needed more so than a person with arrest powers. Um, that can be a tricky thing, though, because uh, as Assistant Chief Waldner pointed out many times, the most serious calls they get involve people with mental health conditions. So it's not always easy to separate. But there are calls that she says could could use the response of social service agencies. And one of the concerns she raised is that a lot of social service agencies close at 5 p.m. and they're not open on the weekends. And she said they would like to have access to those resources 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where they can send people out to some of these calls, not just instead of police, but to prevent future calls to police. Because she said in many cases, the people who are calling police over and over again are people who are dealing with crises or problems that could be resolved with the help of a social service agency. And if that can be taken care of, as she put it, you fix the problem and you reduce the number of calls. And when you reduce calls, you obviously reduce the burden on the need for more bodies to respond to things. So Charlene Moore's take was we need to find ways to prevent calls. We need to find ways to have people other than police officers who can respond to some of these lower level priority three type incidents. Um, and, and I think that's a discussion that's been ongoing. But the, I think the devil's in the details. How do you do that? There is an entire committee that was created, a task force created in the city of Milwaukee to look at that very thing. And um, as Assistant Chief Waldner pointed out to me in the interview, they just haven't gotten very far with that. There are discussions, but in terms of concrete uh, solutions, uh, it's not that easy. Well, and it's been, you know, we're coming up kind of on a year here since Mayor Barrett, former Milwaukee mayor, announced that they were going to hire about 200 new police officers to deal with some of these shortage issues. I guess whatever happened to that? And then, you know, I guess in turn, how are they? I mean, I know there's recruitment issues and retirements and all that stuff. I mean, how how is that whole process working? It's got to probably have some hiccups in it, I assume. Well, so they did announce that, that they were going to fund the hiring of 195 more officers. And that's one of the things that I saw in the data that we got from Milwaukee police on staffing is there's always a gap between the number of positions that are budgeted for and the number of actual officers on staff. And some of that has to do with the Fire and Police Commission authorizing hiring. But a lot of it right now just has to do with recruiting. The police department cannot get the recruits they used to get or the number of applicants they used to get. And there is a lot of screening and vetting that goes on when people do apply. So you might get 2,000 applications in the past. Now they're getting five or seven, five or 600 uh, for a particular recruit class. And, and you know, by the time they actually vet everyone and get through all those applications, you end up with recruit classes that aren't full. Um, in fact, 
That 195 officers they had intended to hire this year was supposed to be across three recruit classes. As it turns out, they've only had one. They're going to have one more this year. And that first recruit class, I, I believe, wasn't even full. So the number, so, you know, it's one thing to say we've got the money and we're going to try to hire more police officers. It's another thing to find people who want to be cops and to find people who want to do it in the city of Milwaukee. Everyone's competing for uh, employees right now. And obviously the police service is no different. But when neighboring jurisdictions can pay more and when you don't get shot at, uh, or at least not as often, um, it can be more attractive to go to a suburban department maybe than the city of Milwaukee. That's what Assistant Chief Waldner said to me in this interview. Um, I, I know that there have been efforts to try to recruit police officers, but again, the, the, the numbers just aren't there right now. So and it's not keeping up with attrition. I mean, they can hire more people, but as they hire more and train more, then people retire. They leave for other departments. So what we've seen in the numbers is since that announcement was made, they were going to hire 195 new officers. The city's actually uh, stayed about the same. They, they've gained very little or, or maybe even lost a few officers in that time. So there was a class that just graduated, I want to say uh, maybe earlier in the spring, that maybe added 40 or 50 new police officers. But again, that just made up for the losses since last year. So um, it's kind of like trying to, you know, a dog trying to keep his paws above the water. Um, they're, they're just trying to tread water right now. We talked a little bit, too, about, you know, the 911 dispatchers and obviously their their jobs of, of getting in getting in these 911 calls and working to dispatch, you know, officers and whatever other emergency personnel need to go to these scenes. Can you tell me a little bit about the city and how they're working to upgrade that system? So for many, many years, City of Milwaukee has had a separate dispatching system for fire and police. They work in the same building. There's a wall between them. You've got police 911 dispatchers and fire 911 dispatchers. They have an entirely different computer-aided dispatch system between the two. So they are two sort of incompatible systems, and that can cause delays. Oftentimes, the delay is actually felt on the medical side, the, the fire side, because what would happen is police dispatchers answer first. And if they determine that it's a medical call, they then transfer it to the fire department that then answers and oftentimes is duplicating the information and, and delaying the response. So there is some concern that sort of duplication of effort has delayed things in the past. And they're in the process now of merging the two systems, but it's a technological and logistical nightmare from what it sounds like because they're going to a, a new unified computer-aided dispatch system which requires all new training which requires a lot of technological capability that's very difficult and originally they were hoping to be on that system this year it's now being pushed back to at least next year it's possible it could go all the way into 2024 there are certainly some significant delays in just the logistics of making that happen but in the end no matter how quickly you respond to a 911 call, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference if you don't have the bodies to send. And I think that's the place where police are still going to be stuck until they can come up with a way to hire more officers or reduce the number of calls that are coming in. One way or the other, there's only so many resources to go around. And that's a good time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual and have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And I guess I'm the only one who's unprepared this week because it's <laughs> you and me, Sarah. So I don't know. What do you have in store? Okay. 
<laughs> this one made me chuckle and I wish there were like seven people on the podcast right now because I think we could probably have a pretty uh, good discussion about this. Okay, here's a scenario. $1 million cash, but on one random day over the next year, your spouse will hear every single thought you have. You will not know when it begins or ends. Are you in? Wait, wait, wait. You won't know when what begins or ends? Th that your spouse can hear every single thought you have. I mean, <laughs> well, first of all, there's, there's a lot that's going on with this question because it's how much do you value money? I mean, is a million dollars the answer to all your dreams? Um, and, and I don't know that it is. I think it may come with as many problems as it, as it seems to solve. And then there's also the question of, yeah, but what do you have to hide from your spouse, right? And I don't think it's anything to hide, but I do no. think- <laughs> I do think there are times that it's like the things that you that, that are in your head, we have filters, right? We all have filters and there are things that you know not to say. And I know, I know my wife well enough now to know there are, there are the wrong times to say the wrong things. Um, and and uh, because, you know, and, and deservedly so, you know, there are times I need to keep my mouth shut. Um, and so I think if I couldn't keep my mouth shut because my thoughts were just happening, I'd get myself in a lot of trouble. I, I certainly, there's things that, and I have, obviously, I have my own, like, you know, weird kind of tendencies around the house. And so when my spouse uh, doesn't do things like I would do, I might grumble. I don't usually say them out loud unless for the 488th time he leaves a, a cup of a condiment, like ranch dressing or something, in the sink with water in it and calls it soaking. Uh, so that kind of drives me crazy. Um you know, but it's just stuff like that, that like that would cut that would come out in my thoughts. And he'd be like, oh, you're complaining about it again. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't know. I love me, you know, some million dollars. But also I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think about that and I go, OK, so the, the, the privilege I have to think, well, you know, I, I'm able to pay my bills. And I vote. So, you know, if I was in a dire financial situation where I, I need that money because I have a relative who needs life-saving surgery or, or whatever it might be, of course, that would be a different scenario. And I'm not suggesting I don't need money for a lot of things. I have no. three kids in college right now. We right. have no student loan debt. It would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, so that would be great. But there's that question of like, it really does make you think about what are the thoughts that go on in my head that I don't want anyone to know? That, and that's where I'm at. It, it could be it could be a thousand dollars. It could be seventy five million dollars. When I first went like, oh, all my thoughts are going to come out of my head and into the open for people to hear with their own ears. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I imagine her at one point turning to me and saying, you mean to tell me you have never liked these shorts yeah, and you yeah, let me right? wear them? Oh, he's wearing those pants again. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I, but that's a tough one. Although there's, you know, I, there's a lot of things I could do with a million dollars. I know. Like, would I, would I be willing? And really, are the, are the grumbles and complaints I have, or things that I would like that I kind of just push back in my brain? I don't think any of them. My husband would go. That's a surprise. Oh, you hate when I wear this weird, gross corduroy bucket hat when I cut the grass. <laughs> Shocker. I, I, I make comments about it, but then, you know, I guess he wouldn't be too surprised, but I don't know. It was just one of those thinkers. I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know what would, would my thoughts cost me in my marriage? Cause it's just your spouse, right? It's not other people in your life. It's not, no. it's not like your kids and everybody. So I, and your coworkers, I mean, no, I, 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 um, I, I think, I, I guess where I am on this one is I think I'd, I think I'd turn down the million. 
I, I think, yeah, I would have to have a real serious sit down with myself, <laughs> you know, or maybe I would just say, Sarah, it's time to shape up how you look at things and maybe don't be such a jerk sometimes in your head. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, of course you could say, hey, I could get a million dollars and become a better person, but oh, tick two boxes. It, it's just so, girl, you're not wrong. I think I'm being honest here because I think some people yes. might say, I have nothing to hide. I'd take the million. I don't no. think terrible things at all, but come on. Man, we all know just, there's things yes. we just don't want to let out. Word. Plus, people might question my own sanity at times. <laughs> wow, she talks to herself a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, it wouldn't even be bad stuff. Just like that's what goes yeah. on in your head. Mm -hmm. Wow, I thought you were more intelligent than that. Send help. All right, good question. I sure wish I could hear what Amanda or Jason or Jenna thought of those things, but maybe another time. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Sarah, thanks for being on again. No problem. I enjoy being here. As always, thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible, not only executive producer Sarah Smith, but also producer Pete and our extraordinary editor, Dave Machuda, who has to listen to all of this stuff. Please subscribe to Open Record if you have not done that already. We like it when you subscribe because, you know, we get metrics out of that. So please do. You can find it wherever you get fine podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week. Mm -hmm.